Hello, I'm Ryan. I'm Carrie. And I'm Moses. Welcome to the MenoCast. Today on our podcast, we're talking with pastor, teacher, theologian, and author Anthony Segrist. We're talking about theology. How can we open ourselves up to theological moments? How can we create safe places to wrestle with our faith and doubts? How can we talk better about God in the church and outside the church? Thanks for joining us. Carrie, Moses, welcome to another edition here. Thanks. Um, it's, it's, it's nice to have you along for the ride today. Yeah. Um, I'm, just, I'm just wondering how, how we're all doing. I am looking out my window in Lethbridge, Alberta on May 20th and seeing snow on the ground and desperately hoping that it's better where you are today. Uh, yeah, you should transplant yourself to Ottawa. It's like 30 degrees. Went for a bike ride. Felt too hot for that. It's a good day here. It's summer. It's summer in Ontario. Yeah, Winnipeg, we're pretty warm too, but I'm looking at the inside of my house and it's a disaster for renovation, so... <laughs> oh no. We had uh, 29 degrees on Monday and today it's plus five, so... But it's uh, it's warm inside and we're looking forward to a good episode here today. Um, theology. We are all pastors. We have all taken some training formally when it comes to theology. Um, we've gone to school... We've studied in classes with smart people. How do we think about this word? How do you think about this word theology? What, 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 what does it conjure up for you? What space does it occupy in your brain? How do you inhabit this term theology personally? I'm wondering as we get started here. You know, I, I don't think I've ever really thought of myself as a theologian. You know, even though I work for the church, I'm a pastor. I, I wouldn't use that word on a regular basis. I don't know about you, Carrie. Would you say that about yourself? Never, 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 <laughs> never. I would never. I took it in school, you know, to, so I could be a pastor. But you know when you do that spirituality quiz where they tell you, like, if you're mystic, head, heart, or hands? I'm like all hands and heart and mystic and like my head is like a zero maybe I shouldn't tell people that but um, I yeah for me theology goes straight to academia and I am not good at that but um I think Anthony's book really comes into this place where it doesn't have to be about that it doesn't doesn't have to be these really in-depth academic ways of thinking to theologize and get into yeah. it yeah I think that too, I'm starting to realize that theologizing isn't, doesn't only happen in school or in the academy, but it happens just with like everyday people like like me too. You know, there's so many theological moments, just moments where we're pushed to think about God, to talk about God, or, you know, maybe not even God, maybe just what is bigger than us. Um, you know, th those moments happen all the time a and recognizing those as theological moments, I think, has been has been new for me. Hmm. So it's more of a reframing of, of, of how the word functions in, in your in our imaginations in some ways. I, I guess I'm kind of the exception to the rule here. I, uh, I always I love theology, always from from when I was a kid to my more formal studies. I was uh, I've, I've never I can't remember a time when I wasn't thinking about God and about how it all fit together and what made sense and what didn't and why. Um, I've always loved it. I loved it in, in, in university and in, in grad school. Um, but, I, but I hear what you're saying, Carrie, about how it does have this connotation of a kind of an academic, more formal exercise and not something that quote unquote 
regular people do. And I think that's what we're going to learn today in the podcast, or at least encounter, is that um, our, our guest, Anthony, is, is quite clear that theology happens all around us. We all do it in, in to varying degrees at various times. And that's just so refreshing, right? Because then all of a sudden we're like, yes, we've been doing theology in our spare time and even in joyous moments for ourselves and children do it and, you know, all ages. And so that that's a refreshing way to look at it. Yeah. Absolutely. Another question that, that, that I wonder about a lot and that we'll get to later in the conversation with Anthony is, is what is the role of theology in the church? How, how do we, not only what is theology, but how do we do it well? And this is, this is I think, even in some ways more interesting for me. I'm not, I'm not sure what your experience has been like in churches, but does that, does that resonate with you at all? Like there's, there's the, thing, the thing itself, the content, and there's also how we talk about it. And, that, and those are kind of different questions. How, how, how do you think about those things? I think growing up for me, I feel like there's been good theological conversations. And I've looked kind of back into history and seen how some topics, some conflicts have ripped churches apart. And I always kind of thought like, oh, yeah, but but we don't do theology that way. And the older I've gotten now, I've gotten more into some of these conversations in the church and really struggling with how we deal with some of that. Like the, 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 the deeper I get, I guess, the, the more aware I am of, of how churches function. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I love the way we've been talking about certain theological topics in the church currently. Yeah, like theology is sometimes used as a weapon. And so how do we reclaim it as a beautiful dialogue that we can all grow from? Um, but then also needing to make it not strictly theology, but bringing in the humanity and, and people's experience, right? Like, Because that's kind of how I hope people are reading the Bible, that, you know, there's the biblical, there's the actual words in there, there's the historical, the context, the culture, but then also we bring it with the lens of Jesus and the lens of our own human experience that is given to us from God. And so there needs to be so many of those elements. And even then it becomes so personal and then can become so divisive. Mm -hmm. I think the older I've gotten and the more I've, I've, I've theologized over the years and the more I've experienced I've had in the church, the more I've come to see that um, doing theology well is this delicate dance between um, treating theology like a fixed collection of content about God as opposed to, um, as Carrie mentioned, a dialogue, a process, uh, um, a, a communal exercise in many ways. And that's not to say that we, that it's everything's up in the air and we can, and, and there's just nothing solid that doesn't change over time. I think there are doctrines and, and, you know, ideas about God that I don't want to be renegotiating in every conversation. I just take them as givens. But um, we aren't super great as Christians. Well, I shouldn't speak for all Christians, but the, the, the corners of the church that I've inhabited, we aren't always super great at holding with, with conviction ideas about God that we that we are convinced of, but doing so in such a way that invites further conversation instead of shutting it down. And I think that's where I would hope to to steer the conversations I'm a part of in, in the church and, and beyond. And I think um, Anthony will be helping us to get some to to give us some handles on how how this might look in the church and and the world. 
Well, this brings us to our, our guest for today. Today we're speaking with um, Anthony Segrist, who is a pastor at Ottawa Mennonite Church. He's also uh, an author. He has written a book called Speaking of God, An Essential Guide to Christian Thought. Uh, previously, Anthony served as a professor of Christian theology. But most importantly of all, Anthony is the colleague of our esteemed co-host, Carrie. And I'm sure this is what fills him with the most pride today. Um, I know it does. <laughs> so we're going to jump right in to our talk with Anthony Segrist, beginning with how or why anyone would ever consider themselves or call themselves a seasoned theology nut. You know what, I think I call myself a seasoned theology nut because I'm still not sure if I want to call, call myself a theologian. Um, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time in and around the academy and in and around churches, and it always seemed like theologians were people who were much farther down the track than I was. Um, but I've, I've, I've taught and um, I've written a couple of books, and uh, this is one of them, so seasoned theology nut I think fits. You know, when I look back as to where where the process started for me, I think it would have been just around the table um, growing up, um, especially those Sunday lunches um, at home with my parents. And they often lasted a long time and, and the conversations um, got into all kinds of things. And so I think that's where the, the love of talking about God and about the spiritual life and about everything that follows from that started for me. I think I owe a lot to, um, to youth leaders who were willing to listen and entertain crazy ideas and uh, push back sometimes a little bit. But um, it's, uh, it's been a curious journey, um, like I think for most of us. Um, we start somewhere, we have a vision of where things might lead, and it doesn't always unfold that way. But that's, that's part of what we think about. It's part of what we talk about. Yeah, is the uh, you know that that activity of speaking about God gathered around the table and just having conversation? Um, it, it sounds like that was pretty formative for you in your growing up. Is that something that's carried over now for you and your kids? I hope so. My oldest is nine, and uh, so yes, we talk about uh, the world that we find ourselves in, and um, at this stage, we try not to talk about the news too much. Um, of course, kids bring some great questions about the Bible, and um, they're starting into the stage where they have questions, too, about uh, what parents think and um, the way parents structure um, a household and a family's activities. So, um, yes, a love of talking. Uh, I think I describe theology in, in this book as essentially a conversation about God. Um, we can give much more formal definitions to it. But um, I think it was Thomas Aquinas who said that the subject of theology is God and everything in the light of God. So that means we can talk about quite a bit. I think it was 2018, sometime just before my book came out, Jonathan Merritt wrote a, a piece, an op-ed in the New York Times talking about how we're losing our ability to talk about spiritual subjects. And I think he was relying on some Google data um, that tracked the use of certain kinds of terms in material that was published. And he was seeing a decline in the use of spiritual vocabulary. And that's part of the burden of my book, to say, 
um, there's a lot that um, demands a common language for us to talk about together. Uh, what gives our lives meaning? Um, how do we uh, understand what's beautiful and what's terrible in our world? Uh, that kind of begs for, for spiritual, or I would say theological language. I, I, uh, I often find the introductions and the conclusions to books the most interesting or the most telling. Um, and your introduction, you describe theology as an ongoing conversation, one that can intrigue us and draw us in. Whether we're new to the discussion or have been involved in it for a lifetime, theology should be immersive and transformative, and it should bring us joy. And I spent a bit of time thinking about those three things that you said theology should be. Immersive, transformative, and a source of joy. And uh, my first thought was, it's so often not those things. <laughs> so I wonder if you could unpack each of those maybe a little bit, how you see theology as um, inhabiting those words, and particularly the last one, a source of joy. Because um, for many inside and outside the church, theology is not a source of joy, it's a source of division. Um, so maybe you could just comment on those, that threefold um, reference you make, but particularly the last one, theology is a source of joy. Um, my, I found my way into Christian ministry through like leading adventure trips and working at adventure camps. And so when I think of spiritual or theological conversations, I'm often thinking about conversations that happen on the trail or in the canoe or around the campfire. And they're ones that happen when we're, we're immersed in God's world and in the beauty of creation. And those kinds of experiences just evoke um, uh, something from us. You know, we want to be able to say something about the world that we're in. And for me, that's where the immersive part comes. Uh, we begin to speak about the world that we're in, and then we realize that other people have done the same thing. And uh, we want to hear what they have to say, and we want to learn from them. And um, it never ends. It's this sort of lifelong pursuit of watching our language in light of God, as uh, one Catholic theologian has, has put it. The, the ancient um, theologians uh, often talked about the, the salutary effect of speaking truthfully. And that's what I mean by transformative. When, when we learn to speak well about ourselves and well about our world, um, you know, when we think about our world as God's good creation instead of a bunch of stuff that we can turn into money, I think that transforms how we inhabit it. I hope it does. And a source of joy. Um, I often think that some of our best theologians are not people who, who self-consciously write theology, but they're poets and they're songwriters and they're novelists and they're people who are making films um, but they're, they're doing theological work in that space. And maybe they're more conscious of the joy that comes from this sort of reflection and these kinds of conversations. Um, but for me, it's, it's something that, that can't be helped. It's just kind of a, um, a natural response to, to trying to understand the connections between God and the various uh, parts of our lives. You know, you mentioned the, the the location where a lot of, maybe for you, that theological experience conversation has taken place. Can you take us into one of those times? Like, I don't know if this is too 
long ago or if you remember or if if it would take too long like i'm just curious you know thinking about okay was there a time around a campfire that you remember like what is the question that maybe 15 year old or 20 year old anthony was asking theologically because of that situation there's one one story that comes to mind um i had the good fortune of growing up in a church that um regularly practiced service. Every year they would have a service trip or a service project. And it wasn't a huge church. And so the youth and the adults and the seniors all did this thing together. And so one summer, our congregation um, piled into a couple of big 15 passenger vans and drove to Colorado. And uh, we were serving some kind of a non-profit something in the mountains. I forget exactly what the organization was. But I can remember an evening um, after a day of, of just doing physical work um, at this location in the mountains and then having a conversation about our day with uh, this intergenerational group. And then my friends and I went out and just we just went for a walk and the sun was going down and we sat down on the edge of this clearing and we just sat there quietly. And as we were sitting there, a skunk came out and walked across the clearing and it made us sit all the more quietly, right? Um, and we just we just stayed. We watched this skunk doing its thing. The sun went down. The stars came out. And then we began to, uh, to talk a little bit. And what we started talking about was time. Um, and we just, we had this almost a frivolous conversation, but also just a fun kind of exploratory conversation about what's the relationship of time to God? Uh, does, does, does God journey through time with us? Um, does, does God know the future if the future isn't actually a thing to be known? Um, or or is, is kind of all of reality, all of history, just kind of there, present before God, just like the stars were present before us? So that's a moment that stuck with me, you know, over a couple of decades um, as uh, a joyful, exploratory conversation. And I wouldn't trade it for, um, I wouldn't say the world, but, you know. It's fascinating because I, I immediately thought about 16-year-old me at camp, leadership and training, being on a canoe trip and standing at the edge of the water thinking, if I prayed hard enough, could I walk on water? Like, if I believed hard enough. <laughs> and, uh, of course, it didn't happen. Maybe I didn't believe hard enough. <laughs> Did you try? Um, Did you try? You know, I don't, I think I might have dipped a foot in and I was like, oh, it's not solid. And then I kind of went back. But it's interesting that I never would have thought or I would have never labeled that as a theological moment, like that, that, that was engaging me theologically, that experience. Um, so it, I find it fascinating that you name it that way. And maybe it, it kind of uh, opens our eyes to theology or the theological work that we've been doing for a long time, maybe not really noticing how life and uh, nature experiences are bringing up questions within us. Um, so yeah, I, I appreciate that story. I like the way you put that. You know, I don't want to be like anti-elitist um, or anything. There are, you know, important places where theology is done as a, a specialized um, academic pursuit. Um, but it's not just there. I mean, exactly as you're saying, um, Moses, it's, it's, it's in our everyday lives. I can remember a time when I was, I was a young person and um, 
I was I was trying to get to know myself with respect to God and um, I can remember just praying that God would just show up like just show up talk to me I only need it once in my life um, and then you know God you can kind of go away and it can all be normal but I, I just I need this one experience and God didn't show up right like nothing really happened um, and then there's a whole bunch of questions that come from that right um, how do you live truthfully after an experience like that? Um, what can you say about prayer and what can you say about the existence of God um, when even as a young person, you've kind of tried that experiment and it doesn't work? Anthony is someone who I know to be a nature lover. And as you've noted here, you know, you, you seem to find God in, in nature and creation. Um, and as someone who's moved into pastoral ministry, like how do you bring that, that joy with you or that gift with you into the into the kind of more formalized pastoral ministry? I try. I, I, I think the, the one way that I've, I've begun to become just a little more instinctive about doing it is just noticing the language that the Bible uses. Uh, the Bible is just chock full of references to nature. I mean, those are the metaphors and the pictures often that the biblical writers are using. And sometimes I wonder if it isn't our disconnection from the natural world um, that makes it a that makes it harder for us to be cognizant or be aware of the transcendent. You know, our congregation has has tried to worship in outdoor spaces, and um, sometimes it works. And you know, sometimes there's just too many bugs, too many bugs, and we can't bring the piano, and um, you know, the seats aren't as comfortable as they are inside, and sometimes it doesn't work. Okay, Anthony, I'm still stuck on this theology as a source of joy thing. Each one of us in this interview is a pastor. Each one of us has um, been, I assume, part of church conflict. Each one of us is a part of the broader Mennonite church where, where theology has not always been a source of joy. Where doing theology together has been a source of division and suspicion. Um, so, are we doing it wrong? Are we doing theology wrong as, a, as, a, as churches, as a denomination, as, as human beings? Um, do we as pastors have a, is there a way we can model doing it better? Um, why, why it, maybe it's just a, a function of leadership, being in leadership, you know, the stakes are higher, but why do you think that theology seems so rarely to be a source of joy in, in, in our churches? Or am I just being a pessimist? Maybe it is and I'm just not seeing it. <laughs> I don't think you're being a pessimist, Ryan. I'm, I, I can be a pessimist with the best of them, um, especially about the state of the church and the future of the church. And um, I'm not always that enthused about it. I, I think one of the challenges is that the time we really get self-conscious about the fact that we're doing theology is when we're trying to establish institutional boundaries and when we're trying to say who's in and who's out. And I think it becomes a little bit of, you know, we get what we're asking for in those kinds of situations. If we're trying to use theological categories to establish those boundaries, then that's what we do. And some people are in and some people are out. Some churches are in, some churches are out. And it's bound to, it's bound to be nasty. Um, but if we can have these kinds of exploratory conversations in spaces that are more generous, um, where, there, where there are relationships of trust in place, uh, where we're not trying to solve a problem or make a decision about who's in and who's out, uh, when we can slow down um, 
then I think we're, we're positioning ourselves much better to have a conversation that's, that's joyful, you know, as opposed to when we're deciding which hymns should make it in the hymnal or not. Um, those can be moments of, of, of high friction because there's, you know, there's something at stake. No, I like what you say there about how we kind of, we, we kind of bring theology in when we have a problem to solve or there's a crisis that we have to deal with, real or imagined. And then um, we haven't really cultivated the, the discipline of doing theology joyfully in the meantime. We're just kind of bringing it into when we're panicking about some issue. Um, that makes some sense to me. And I think there's something just underlying that, that like we're, we're human creatures and we're trying to talk about an infinite God, about a creator. And there's something just at bottom kind of humorous about that sort of arrangement. Um, and, and maybe it's because we, we, we try to put, put these handles on what we're talking about, put these handles on God, put these limitations there that we, we fail to see that um, discrepancy, which I think is just, it's unavoidably kind of funny. Um, that's my take. I, I think there should be more joy. And I think it's there. No, I, 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 I've thought the same. This, is, this is, seems like the height of hubris to try and say something about an infinite God, but we, it doesn't stop us from trying. I'm curious if there's, if you have thought about some of, uh, not, I don't want to call them dangerous, um, oh, what's the right word? What are some, <laughs> what have you noticed some of the maybe cultural challenges are, uh, or, or maybe just one? Uh, that that our culture or you know our generation is dealing with when it comes to how we think about God or the world or our place in the world. Um, it, have you noticed anything in that way, or is that is that too much putting you on the spot? <laughs> well, I think I think one of our 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 main challenges, our central challenge, is the challenge of consumerism. Is is the challenge that we can just make life whatever we want, and. Um, that when we can't do that, like when there's a pandemic, um, we get incredibly frustrated and we feel as though, I don't know, our humanity is being violated because there are limits. Um, it, it's, it's a sort of silly modern story that we've told ourselves um, that, um, that our, our contexts um, don't matter, that our history doesn't matter, um, that we're not shaped and formed. Um, by others, and that we don't owe some kind of a, of a, of a debt of loyalty to communities that have nurtured us. Um, I I think that's our central challenge. I think it shows up in all all kinds of ways. And I think it's one of the main things our our churches are grappling with. So, it, uh, if I could ask you to, uh, as quickly as possible, <laughs> theologize uh, with us about that. In, in you know, without going through the whole book or the whole Bible, where would you find you know the nuggets of uh, wisdom that that we have to have conversation about uh, the consumerism we're facing? Well, I think we see it in in the way the New Testament Church deals with conflict and disagreement. It's not that it isn't there; it is, um, but they're they're giving space for the other, for the weaker person. Um, I think it's there. I think it's in the Christian theological tradition, in the fact that we do take tradition seriously. Um, I mean, I just think of tradition as the way in which people have read scripture over the generations, the way in which the spirit has spoken in the past. Um, so it's not some kind of a 
standalone authority for me. Um, but it's just recognizing the fact that God has been at work in the lives of people who are now dead. And it's important for them to have a voice, even if we disagree with them, because we, we often might. Um, we often might. That doesn't make sense, does it? Uh, we often do. <laughs> we often do. And I, I, I think it's, it's, it's legitimate for us to um, reform and to repent. And that's a part of the Christian life. And that's a part of the Christian experience. But it is valuable for us to know why previous generations thought the way in which they did. Um, what were the things that they were worried about? Um, and the, yeah, we make changes in our lives. The church makes changes. Um, one of the examples that I refer to in the book was the, the way in which the church in the West for a long time um, was anti-Semitic. They were anti-Jewish. And, you know, they took one particular verse in the New Testament and kind of read the rest of the Bible through that, that verse. And um, I don't think that there are are Christian groups that still exist today that that have not made a profound change uh, on that. Um, but to do that does take um, taking our past seriously and taking tradition seriously. I was I, I spent a lot of time in my own life reflecting on the book of Job and writing about the problem of evil and suffering, and so I was naturally drawn to your discussion of Job. Um, and you talk about how books like Job, their existence in the canon, um, by, kind of by definition, give us space within the life of faith for questions and for doubt. And here's another time where I want to say, are we doing this well? Do we do this well in the church? Do we, do we create theological space for doubt and for, um, for questioning? And if not, how might we do it better? The book of Job is a tough one, isn't it? Um, I mean, I love the fact that it, it, it creates space for doubt. Uh, it's there in the canon. You know, we, we don't need to debate about whether doubt is okay or whether arguing with God is okay or misunderstanding God is okay. It's there. It's, it's, you know, it's as biblical as it can get. But it's a hard book to just sit down and read, isn't it? Um, I don't know if I've ever actually just sat down and read the whole way through the book of Job because it's kind of a dense, a dense back and forth um, about as you say, suffering and and evil. I can remember when I was living in Toronto, there was a, um, a particular church in the downtown that had this huge banner on the outside. And it said, I think, I think it said, living the questions. Eh. <laughs> For me, that's, you know, okay, I understand the direction that they're going. Um, you know, we don't have everything figured out. And it's important um, to be upfront and okay with that. Um, I think that's going maybe a bit far to say we're only living the questions. Um, but I think, I think pastors have um, an important role to play here, both just in terms of admitting to their own questions and being careful in the language that they use when we're talking about Scripture. Um, you know, even careful in the language that we use at funerals. Right? It's easy at, at a funeral because we want to be comforting to say a whole bunch of things that sound great until we think about them a little bit. Um, and I think that's really risky business. Um, so let's say what we know and, and, and try and give an indication as to why we think that we know those things um, without 
you know, losing the uh, preaching genre altogether. Um, but I think, I think pastors can lead on creating space for questions and creating space for doubt. And not making it seem as though, like, doubt is antithetical to faith. Um, and not making it seem as though, well, if you start to have doubts or, or start to question your faith, you're, you now need to step outside the church, get yourself back together, and then, and then come back in. Um, I wish, I wish, you know, for my congregants and, and friends and former students that we, we were more inclined to think of doubts as an invitation to a deeper new kind of faith. Well, I think it was a year or two ago, Anthony, we had um, a visitor pop into our Sunday morning and um, we, they were speaking with them after the service and they were a little distraught that um, someone in the church that day in some setting had expressed doubt in God that they had been a part of a church for years and years and um, and they were expressing just that even then they were still uncertain of God and um, this visitor was very distraught by that fact. Do you remember your response to that? I don't. It was, I hope I was nice. Oh, definitely. Um, I really appreciate it. I still remember it. It was, um, it was very kind and you were kind of like, you know what? I'm so glad we're a congregation where someone would feel comfortable to express that and that someone would have enough, you know, critical thinking and investment in their faith to, to have doubt. Um, and anyways, when, when the question of doubt and you came up, I, uh, couldn't help but remember that story. And I really appreciated that response. And I think the visitor was kind of like, oh, <laughs> and took a step back. I'm, gl- I'm glad I passed my own test. That's, <laughs> that sounds great. You say, uh, in your book that Christians have sometimes been too quick and too confident. I wonder where you see these temptations showing up in the church in 21st century Canada or the West. Um, and again, I don't want to always ask you for, for advice here, but um, is there ways in which the church could model being less quick and less confident while, as you say, like I'm always, I'm 100% with you. Living the questions is utterly boring and uninspiring to me. I, I would never go to a church where that was their slogan because I, I need more than just a handful of questions. I got enough of those myself. Um, but how the, the quickness and confidence, I think most of us who are, in church circles regularly, we see it all the time, but, um, and inside and outside the church. Um, I wonder if you could just comment on where are you seeing it and, uh, how could we again, maybe model a, a better way of doing things or the resources we could access, etc. Well, I think I see that in myself uh, as much as I see it other places. Um, you know, the, the, the places that, um, that, uh, kind of, get me going emotionally or, you know, when you see those signs that say Jesus saves, um, I don't really know what people do with that, 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 you know, aren't in the church. I don't know what people do with that who are in the church. Like what Jesus saves from what, um, why, like who is Jesus? Um, I just don't see what kind of work that sort of signage does, whether it's on a church or on a lawn. I apologize to any of you if you have that on your church sign right now. Um, but I would encourage you to take it off. Um, I, other than sloganeer, I'm not sure what that does. Um, you know, more recently, when a group of um, seminary presidents uh, just reject critical race theory, um, I don't know what purpose that has, um, especially when they're all white. 
um, to me, that's an example of uh, being too quick and too confident. Um, it's it's institutionally walling, you know, the, our, ourselves off from critique. Um, I think I think that's a pretty deep problem. But you know, at the same time, um, when there are church leaders here in Ontario, or <laughs> we've heard some from Manitoba too, who um, come out so strongly against lockdowns and um, are making these these gigantic public statements about how this is an affront to God. Um, my own response is pretty instinctive and pretty direct and um, maybe a little too much so. Um, but I still think I'm right. Uh, I still think I'm right. I think that does a lot of damage um, to our public witness, to the common good. It makes me not want to really be a Christian when that's kind of the news headline. Um, so I think you're right, Ryan. I think those things are are all around us. Um, and I, well, I, I think, think there, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, I think that, I mean, this is a whole, this could probably be a whole podcast in and of itself, but I think that we, just by virtue of, of being citizens in a digital age are being daily conditioned in quickness and overconfidence because we are trained to react to everything instantly in the moment. And, um, you know, overconfidence, self-righteousness, these are the things that are almost algorithmically designed to float to the top of all of our, our social media feeds. And I, I really worry deeply about how how this is forming us as human beings, never mind Christians. And I think this is this is a space in which we're trying to do theology. And it's, it's so corrosive to our souls um, and to our discourse. Quickness and confidence, that's like the lingua franca of, uh, of the internet, it seems like to me, but. Yeah, that's how you get attention. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how even as pastors, we often evaluate our own success. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's clicks, it's people on digital services. Yeah. I mean, so I, I don't think the antidote is, is magic. I, I, I think it's, it's growth in Christian virtue, in, in humility, in gentleness. Um, those, are, those are countercultural things and taking time to listen. Absolutely. I was driving down uh, in, in in Winnipeg uh, just in the last few months. Um, I saw a, a church sign that said, COVID-19 kills, but Jesus saves. <laughs> so there you go. It's as simple as that. Throw up it's a church sign, Jesus saves, and everyone's going to be good. <laughs> I saw a similar one driving down the street here in Lethbridge, uh, Masks don't save, Jesus do. Jesus does. It was one of those utterly useless, worse than useless uh, signs. But um, I have, think have you ever been tempted to take those down? Well, this was this was on the back of a truck, so it would have been hard. Okay. Um, but <laughs> I have been tempted. I have been you know, tempted I, to pull signs out of lawns and take them down. Yeah. Oh, I'm not yeah. going to tell you if I have or not. I, I had. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony, I'm curious if you were to, to just think about, you know, the average person in your pew um, or the, the people that you encounter on a daily basis. Like, what would you hope in, in terms of the kind of theological work that you hope the church does? Like, how would you encourage the church today? It, and, and what direction do you hope that we're moving in, in terms of having these conversations? I think two things. One, um, I see an increasing divergence between 
theological work that's done in the academy, including in our seminaries and Christian universities, and what's done in the church. And I think that divergence is problematic. Um, so I would love to see those things come together. Um, and the other thing would be that um, we uh, just increase the confidence of people in the pew who have reflections and questions. Um, I think we sometimes play down the, um, the intellectual life of a congregation. Um, and like we forget that there are people there with significant questions and you know there some of them are reading Christopher Hitchens and um, you know they're they're encountering um, challenges that they're they're thinking about critically and sometimes it just comes through life sometimes it comes through um, the media or, or or other venues and I think we we do well just as communities to to create space to talk about that kind of stuff and here here's 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 my other thing I want to add and that we see it as a part of our pastoral vocation. Um, in the Mennonite church, probably in other churches as well, we've, we've largely given this over to university professors. Um, they're the experts or consultants, right? Like we'll bring consultants in to like, like tell us how to do stuff um, because that consultant title or that university professor title has a lot of esteem and we assume there's expertise there. And that's not always what we need. Um, we just we need people who aren't anxious, um, who have um, who have the patience to wade into some of these conversations and connect people to some resources. And I think there's a lot of fun to be had. I was thinking about what you said, Anthony, about how people in our churches often have a, a theological practice or intellectual engagement that we know nothing about. Um, I'll, I'll never forget early on when I was pastoring uh, in, in, a, in a church, um, I had spent probably six years academically agonizing over the problem of evil and all the different things. And there was an older man who was, had a grade five education um, who had sat in, in, in my Bible study for years. And one day he just started talking about um, how he had lost his five-year-old son when his, when his best friend backed over him with a truck that back in the day. 20, 25 years ago and how this had plunged him into alcoholism and then he'd, he'd come, come out of that and I thought here's a guy who knows a lot more about the problem of evil and suffering than I do and, and I've spent years and years and years writing about it and reading about it and here's a guy who's this is Job right this is um, this is on the ground and and so he, he would never have called himself a theologian he would have laughed out loud if he said it to him but what he said that night was theological, and it was it was something we all needed to hear. Anyways, that's a kind of a somber way to, to end off here today. <laughs> but um, I, Anthony, I want to thank you for for taking some time today to talk with us. It's been real. It's been a real uh, treat to to pick your brain in your book and other things. Um, I've enjoyed um, your reflections and uh, anything you want to add before you sign off uh, on the book on. Doing theology for the church. Well, you know, I'd want to say thanks for the invitation. It's not in my nature to, like, talk this much without asking questions. Um, so hopefully I gave you some material um, to work with and to cut and uh, paste and splice as needed. Um, yeah, it's neat. I, I think this is a neat project where we're able to gather together across the country. Um, 
especially because, uh, you know, there are certain pockets, I think, of the Mennonite world where, and Moses, maybe you're in one of these, where like you can meet with a lot of other pastors and you sort of have this collegiality. Um, but uh, a lot of other Mennonite pastors don't. And um, it can be kind of lonely business. So, uh. No, I think you're 100% right, Anthony. And Winnipeg's kind of a, and maybe Ontario too, although I'm probably not Ottawa so much, but it's, and even out here in Alberta, it's, it's the same. It's pretty lonely at times, and it's, it's nice to have a chance to interact with other pastors and other uh, thinkers. It's, it's really great. Well, that was fun. It was, uh, it was great to talk with Anthony, to hear him, to hear some of his ideas and experiences. Uh, just a reminder that you can connect with Anthony at his website, which is anthonysegrist.com. Uh, we also, we're going to talk more about just re reflecting on how we heard him and some of the ideas that he shared today. But we also want to give away a copy of his book before we get there. That's right, Ryan. The three of us have read it and we've all enjoyed it and think you would enjoy it too. Speaking of God is put out by Herald Press, which is the publishing arm of Meadow Media. And we would encourage you to go check them out at meadowmedia.org. They've always got great resources coming out uh, for you or for your church. Uh, resources that come from the Mennonite Anabaptist perspective. So we want to thank Harold Press, as well as the Common Word Bookstore and Resource Centre, for co-sponsoring this book giveaway. If you happen to be in Winnipeg, Manitoba, on the campus of Canadian Mennonite University, you can actually visit the physical store of Common Word. And there's way more than just books or resources there. They've got a huge kids section. They've got fair trade coffee and chocolates and all kinds of other treats there as well. And one of my favorite things is that they actually sell uh, frozen pizzas and pierogies, which you can take home and have a fantastic meal with. So I uh, really encourage you to check them out uh, online or in person. If you go to their website, commonword.ca, you can also subscribe for their curator newsletter, which is a bi-weekly newsletter that lets you know about all the sales and upcoming feature resources. So we're going to give away a copy of Anthony's book, thanks to Common Word and Herald Press. And all you need to do to be entered into the draw is to go to our Facebook page at The Meadowcast and like our page. And that's it. We're going to select one person from that group. And if you are a Canadian resident, then you will get that book shipped to you for your enjoyment. So we covered a lot of ground in that episode. And, and Anthony, you know, he, he touched on a lot of really interesting I feel like we could go a number of directions here in 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 how we think about theology and the church and how we should do it better. But um, I'm curious, what did you hear, Carrie and Moses? Um, what stood out to you um, as we talked about being theologians in our communities, in our churches? Well, I have the privilege of working with Anthony, which is pretty fun. Um, Give I, us the dirt, Carrie. Yeah, what? <laughs> hmm. I don't know what dirt I would have on him. He's so pure. <laughs> kind of annoying maybe but <laughs> one thing I've learned and appreciated about Anthony is that um he's worshiped at some diverse churches not just Anabaptist churches and he has this like kind of great respect for the saints um and you might even say like a love for the saints and so he really values like historical voices and ancient traditions something that sometimes I find myself at odds with and I kind of want to throw them away 
Um, but he said, God has been at work in people, you know, who are dead now. And it's important to give voice to them, even when we disagree and to understand why they thought the way they thought and what they were thinking. Um, and for me, that is a challenge, but it's, I think it's also so important. Um, we all are connected to our ancestors, to our grandparents, and our great grandparents in some form, whether we know who they are or we, they, we don't. Um, and the Mennonite church goes back a long way too, right? Um, it's not all like a flowery history that, you know, where we've been in the right, but it's there and it's ours and we are connected to it. And so, yeah, what did you guys think of that? How do you feel about the saints or the ancestors? Well, it just brought to mind a, a quote. I think it's Chesterton uh, and, and, and I, I'm not sure a hundred percent, but he said sometimes our, 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 discussions whether it's about theology or or anything really is is dominated by the the quote tyranny of those who happen to be walking about and and, and how we don't we, we kind of ignore the voices that came long before us and we imagine that we're the first people to do theology or anything like that that we're the first people to think about god and and have 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 tough questions and it, it's a dose of humility i think it provides us with when we realize that you know Sometimes we are, we think we're having these profound insights and, and deep, deep questions that have, we're, you know, we're, we're very, very late to the party often. And um, many, many great minds and saints have come before us. I think I appreciated that about Anthony's book as well, that he references so many people uh, and so many, you know, historical figures in the church and what they've wrestled through and theologized about. So that, that clearly comes through in his book. And and I think it's important too. I feel like the Mennonite Church loves to talk about, um, you know, the 16th century on, and then also Constantine and before. So like third, you know, fourth century and before, and 16th century and later. And the middle part, we we don't love to touch that much. Um, but I think there's probably something we're missing out by disconnecting ourselves from wider church history. Um, one of the things that Anthony talked about that I that I think is um, that I've noticed in the, in the church is he says that there's a divergence between um, academic theology and theology kind of on the ground in the church and and how and this gets maybe back to some of what even in in our opening remarks today on the podcast there was some reticence to use the word theologian to talk about ourselves because it seems like it's it's something that that you know it's it's almost an elite task. And, and Anthony, I think, pushes against that, and he and he kind of criticizes this tendency that Mennonites sometimes have to to bring in experts from the outside to do theology in the church. Like we'll we'll bring in a professor, or we'll bring in a, a, a such and such to to help us, you know, get through this issue. And it, it has value, but I, I I like how how Anthony pushed us to consider the, you know. Church should be a place where theology is 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 just done as a course of life. Um, did you hear it the same way? Did you um, how how did that land with you in your own contexts? Yeah, it does make sense, and I think in a way, we have been doing theology on the ground, some uneducated theology, I guess, um, or people who like don't have training in theology doing this theologizing, but we haven't called it that because it didn't feel like it was. And I think this touches on what we talked about earlier. It does bring back a memory for me of, um, we have church members from all kinds of backgrounds. Um, and we have one who has a strong Catholic background. And he asked when we were 
uh, wondering about a theological question. He's like, well, doesn't like the church or like the conference or Midnight Church Canada like pay people to do this thinking for us? Like, don't we have theologians who do this and then tell us? And we were like, oh no, <laughs> like we just have to work at it and slog away at it ourselves, man. And he's like, oh, this, you know, so different. <laughs> So in some ways, it'd be nice to have these Mennonite theologians like Anthony and Ryan tucked away, doing the hard work for us, doing the prayer, studying, researching, and then coming back and being like, hey guys, here's, here's what's what. But would we live into it in the same way? I don't think so. Would we own it in the same way? No. And so the onus is on us. We have to do mm-hmm. that hard work. Yeah. And, and I think too, when it comes to like higher education or... Um, you know, scholarly uh, work. I think in the past there was a hesitancy to connect um, more academic theology work to the work of the church as if if that would be biased. Um, and, and, And so even to study the Bible, like doing biblical theology separated from your own faith experience would be much more objective and much more true. And and I think more in recent years, there's been a, a, a coming together again of, of academia and the church, realizing that you can't really separate yourself. And, and it's even maybe not realistic and not healthy to do that. But, but to see um, it more in a holistic way uh, it, it might be... Yeah, it might be a better way to go. So I, I don't know. It's I, I think there's been a more, uh, uh, I guess, acceptance of the, the influence that both, uh, you know, the academy has on the church and the church on, a, on the academy, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I think that one of the challenges for the church, especially in the 21st century, is, is uh, I don't know, I, I sometimes think the church is a, is a place where we kind of come and expect to hear theology, but not to do theology. And so we come and we hear some things that someone who's learned a bunch of stuff learned once upon a time, and we we ponder it on our own. We go home, we think about it, we agree with some of it, we don't agree with other parts of it, and 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 that's kind of, I think, what many how many people engage theologically. And as I listened to Anthony today, and as I as I read his book, and as I even think about my own experience in the church, I, I, I increasingly find myself having a, a longing for the church to be a place where we actually do it together, where we actually, um, you know, it's not just about coming to hear from the experts, but it's about um, sharing wisdom and insights, because some things about God, you can only learn from living. For churches and Christians, maybe people of all faiths, I think we each have like a list of non-negotiables. But I think if as people who've chosen to be community together, we've chosen to be church, we've chosen to be part of church, if we can keep those lists of non-negotiables small, if that's possible, then I think it can open us up um, to a longer conversation, right? Like for me, like racism is non-negotiable. Like if, if you're going to um, spew theology that's racist, then then no, that's a no for me. <laughs> I'm not going to engage a conversation on that. But but there are other things I can be freer with and I can admit when I don't know. Mm. And I think that's really important. And it's helpful in Christian community. Mm. I often use the metaphor of an, of an archery target when I'm talking with someone about these kinds of things and how at the center you have the bullseye and, and this is these would be like sort of core Christian convictions, like creedal confessions that go back to decades after the church. And then you have kind of concentric circles moving outward from that center where you can 
progressively hold things a bit looser and 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 maybe have more 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 freedom to you know poke around and, and express disagreement or doubt uh, i'm not sure it's been it's been helpful in some cases in other cases not so much i, I often I also use the analogy of kind of scaffolding. Um, the, some some of these confessions that all Christians share are kind of the scaffolding upon which we can hang our own. Um, it, it, it's the structure that that we kind of work around and 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 inhabit in our own ways. But I I don't think it can be absolutely. I mean, every community needs some some kind of a shared conviction to exist. That's true for. For any organization, not not least the church. So I, so this is this is a game where we're we're back to theology as um, content and process, um, and trying to trying to live in that tension between between the two. Well, earlier Anthony talked about theology as a source of joy, and I think most of us, uh, you know, are, at least my first reaction when I hear that is what joy, um, but maybe it can be, maybe it should be. Um, and there's hope there. But I think we're running out of time here, so we're gonna, um, we're gonna close things off for this episode. I want to thank you for listening to the Menocast this week. Uh, just a reminder that you can find us at themenocast.com. You can listen to episodes on our website or subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. We'd also appreciate it if you'd leave a review if you liked what you've heard and join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the Menocast. We would love to hear from you. If you have comments, questions, suggestions, you can also contact us through our website or at themenocast at gmail.com. Special thanks go out to Nick Duick, who just happens to be my son, for creating our music and to our advisory group for guiding us in these early days of creating this podcast. We would also like to thank Common Word for partnering with us to give away resources and thanks go out to Mennonite Church Eastern Canada for providing, us, for providing us with a seed grant to get this project going. Lastly, I want to thank my co-hosts, Carrie Lane and Moses Falco, for another stimulating and enjoyable episode. I am Ryan Duick. We will see you next time. <laughs>